We've come to Psalm 135 in our trek through the Psalms and through the Bible. We come to the middle book of the Bible, and we come to this Psalm, Psalm 135. And I'll tell you right off the bat that the theme of this Psalm is worship. You'll see it right on. It begins with this admonition, these commands, these exhortations to worship the Lord. And then the psalmist will give us the reasons and rehearse for us those things we ought to keep in mind as we come before the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the name of the Lord. He gets specific, not just the Lord, but his names. Praise him, O ye servants of the Lord, ye that stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises unto his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself, and Israel for his peculiar treasure. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that he did in heaven, and in earth, in the seas, in all the deep places. He goes back to creation to show us that God has done all things for his own honor and glory. He causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings for the rain. He bringeth the wind out of his treasuries. Who smote the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast. Who sent tokens and wonders into the midst of thee, O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and upon all his servants. Who smote great nations and slew mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan. And gave their land for an heritage, and heritage unto Israel his people. Thy name, O Lord, endureth forever, and thy memorial, O Lord, throughout all generations. For the Lord will judge his people, and he will repent himself concerning his servants. The idols of the heathen are silver and gold, and the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not, neither is there any breath in their mouths. They that make them are likened to them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Bless the Lord, O house of Aaron. Bless the Lord, O house of Levi. Ye that fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord out of Zion, which dwelleth at Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. He starts with that admonition. And ends with it, praise ye the Lord, period, we could say. The theme, as we've seen here, is worship. And it is filled with admonitions and encouragements to praise the Lord. This psalm, though we don't know for sure, has the markings, the fingerprints, if you will, of being written by King Hezekiah. And the joy and the overflow of his happiness after being delivered not only from sickness and death, near death, the Lord extended his life but also from the siege of the enemy. I don't know which he was happiest over. They're equal in their uh, ramifications. And so these two major events in his life, he has many reasons, doesn't he, to praise the Lord. We see, first of all, here in verses 1 and 2, the command to worship. He tells us that our worship should be encouraged by the person of our Lord, who he is. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the name of the Lord. Praise you the Lord. Hallelujah. When you notice that word hallelujah, it's a very interesting word. Yah is a contraction. You know, in our English language, when we make a contraction, we take two words and reduce it down to almost an abbreviation 
with the apostrophe to tell us that it's a do not becomes don't and that kind of thing. Well, Yah is a contraction for Jehovah, and just as El is a construction of uh, Elohim, Yah is God the Eternal One, inhabiting the praises of his people. The name first occurs in Exodus chapter 15, verse 2. It's always interesting to note the first occurrence of something, and that's where Jehovah first appears, where in the first song recorded in Scripture. So Jehovah is recorded in the first hymn that we have recorded for us, where Moses leads Israel in this glorious celebration of Pharaoh's overthrow. And in that song, as they commemorate their deliverance from Egypt and the drowning of Pharaoh's armies, Moses pointed Israel's attention to the one who had really delivered them. They were not soldiers. The conditions were uh, miraculous. No one, not even Moses himself, could attribute the parting of the Red Sea at just the right moment, the staying of Jehovah, of Pharaoh and his armies until the last feeble one was across. Remember, this is a mixed multitude of people, a vast host of people, a million or more, no doubt. And with their children and little ones and elderly ones, the whole household, the whole family, carrying what they could with them. So they were not in an army mode. They were not moving at a rapid rate. You can imagine what it would take and how long it would take for them to move. And they moved in a vast, I'm sure, mass across the Red Sea. And by the way, please don't get your doctrine from Hollywood. That's a bad place to get it. And all these people going to these movies about the Bible... The, the scriptures speak for itself, and I've never seen a movie that added or added. I've seen them take away from the, the scripture, but never never add anything to it that the Lord didn't put there. And uh, so, the Bible tells us specifically it was on dry ground. They didn't wade through it. It wasn't knee deep or neck deep. It was dry ground, and so it's a miracle. I've never understood why people won't explain away the miracles of the scripture. The whole book is a miracle. And if God divides the sea and piles it up on either side until the last one gets through, uh, he, he chooses how he will do things. And when the Bible says it, we take, it, uh, take him at his word. But Moses points out this miraculous deliverance and, uh, from uh, Pharaoh, and he leads the people in this song. This was corporate worship, by the way. They all were singing together. We have so much to be thankful for, not only as Psalm 135 here enumerates for us, but in your own private life, in your own holiday season. And I, I hope that you will take a spiritual inventory as businesses do at the end of the year. I hope that you'll look at your spiritual accounts and uh, those goals that you had set out. I hope that you do set goals. The world and people may refer to them as resolutions or whatever you want to call them. But we ought to strive for things in our lives. I hope you have some spiritual goals this year things that you want to see the Lord accomplish through prayer and his work of the Spirit. I want you to measure them by the ones that you had last year. On my birthday each year, and it happens at the end of the year, I sit early in the morning, I bring out those things, I weigh myself in the balances of God's Word and my intentions. And, of course, we do that often, don't we, daily, but specifically at times of the year. The Lord gave the year and the cycles and the days and the, the days of the week all for a specific reason. And that routine and the seasons, the changes where we trace the hand of the Lord, we ought to, in our own private lives, survey, inventory, add up, subtract, and see where we are. Am I a more spiritual believer than I was this time last year? 
Have I any answered prayers to point to? Have I any ground gained spiritually? Am I farther along in this growth of sanctification? Do I bear the spiritual fruit? Do I have the fragrance of the Lord Jesus upon my life? Am I at peace with those in my family and those around me? All those things that we have to consider as Christians and followers of the Lord. Well, we have so much to be thankful for. In that inventory, you can't overlook the blessings along the way. And you'll find that God blessed in spite of disobedience, did he not? In spite of your lack of faith, he carried us and helped us and provided for us. Praise should be a habit of the children of God. Just as prayer ought to be as natural as our breathing, praise ought to be as, as an overflow from our lives as uh, anything else is in our na- natural life. But how often it seems that we have to be reminded to praise God. And so God knows that, and that's why he appoints corporate worship and public worship to remind us of the private life as well. Both are important. Both are at God's design. Dr. John Phillips writes, How often when we spread like a peacock the gorgeous plumage of our satisfaction at some singular blessing or mercy from the hand of the Lord, do we have to be called back to a consideration of the blackness of our fallen nature? Sometimes we can be like Jonah. We have such pleasure in the gourd that when God removes the shade, we get very upset with him, don't we? Realizing that he's the one that caused the shade to grow to start with. And sometimes we attach more emphasis on the blessing than the, than the hand behind the blessing. The one who sent it. The one who orders all things in our lives. But not only are we to praise the Lord, the psalmist here instructs us in Psalm 135 verse 1. Praise the name of the Lord. Jehovah is the God of covenant. And that God would enter into covenant with men is the most amazing thing in all the world. Why would he who is absolutely trustworthy does everything he says he will do? You can count on him as the rising and the setting of the sun. Why would he dare? Why would he deem? Why would he stoop to make covenant with sinful, fickle man? To show off his glory. To show that he will bring to pass his will and his promises in spite of us, not because of us. You see, pride would say, we did our part, so God is duty-bound to do his part. Oh, no. God is God, and he is all-powerful and sovereign. He does his part in his covenants that he makes with men. The God of promise, Jehovah means. The God who keeps his word. The God who is forever all that his people need. Is there anything you have need of today? You'll find it in the Lord. You'll not find it in other places. Broken cisterns, husk. The world, the, the, the empty praise and excitement of the world, all the wrapping paper is gone now, and the lights are, the candles are out, and some people who put all their stock into, into some kind of atmosphere or a, a feeling at Christmas time, what, what is there now? But see, God changes not. The one behind all these things changes not, and he's not fickle. He doesn't ride on the popular opinion polls and the circumstances of governments or, or people. And so Jehovah is the God of covenant, the God who keeps his word. I'm so glad he does that. Trustworthy he is. Now, throughout the Bible, salvation in all of its aspects is closely linked with the name of the Lord. In fact, often in the Psalms we see salvation described as a high tower 
resting under the shadow of the Almighty, that safety, the place of safety is the child of God in, in salvation. Jonah, again, tells us that salvation is of the Lord, and certainly it is. Who devised salvation plan and brought it down to man? We didn't. We, we would have gone the way of Cain, wouldn't we? And just come up with something the best we could about our, from our own efforts. But God intervened and gave us salvation's plan. It's, salvation comes from above down to here. It's not worked up from here to, to heaven. You'll never work your way to heaven. You see, God's gift it is the gift of God. Why? Lest any man should boast. Our late pastor, Will Legrand, used to say, if salvation was of works, we'd have to spend eternity listening to some Baptists brag about how they got here, how they made it over, the last thing they did to put it over the top. And could you imagine having to listen to, to bragging and conceit throughout all of eternity? No, in the light of his glorious presence and the, the light of his grace and those wounds, we'll forever be reminded that he brought us there, his work alone, his grace alone. But his salvation is closely linked with his name, saving, sanctifying, sovereign Jehovah in the Old Testament. And Jesus, or Jehovah saves, in the New Testament. We're told to praise his name, praise Jehovah, the covenant-making God, who out of his own good pleasure decided to save us. Now why he did, I can never, we'll never understand that. We hear people say that we'll understand it better by and by. We might understand it better, but we won't understand it completely because how could he ever love us? How could he go to such lavish extent to save us and to bring us to himself in our rebellion, in our putridness, in our willfulness, in our waywardness? Now, the person of our God should inspire us to worship. If that doesn't cause us to worship, nothing else will. And the thought of his name should cause praise to flow from our lips in words and songs. I read recently an article about some atheist movements who, because of the lack of community and those things that are garnered as byproducts through worship, are having so-called services, if you will, even on the Lord's Day. There are movements throughout Europe and in America where they'll hear so they can sing together. They miss that. That's, that's something that, that's not often done unless you join with other people. And hear a poem or poetry or even a message of some kind. Isn't that interesting? Well, God knew that that's what we needed. We needed, but of course, in that so-called, it's not worship, it's a meeting of some kind, but God...